Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates for all your insurance needs, the Phoenix Tube Company, the law firm of Declator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and General Needs Charity, serving our homeless veterans with dignity. And now, here are your hosts, Mark and A.J. Joining us now is the man who achieved his dream of a career in sports casting. His first on-air job was on Q107 in Toronto, where he started earning $1.07 an hour, which uh, is about $1.07 more than AJ and I are currently getting. After some time developing his craft at Q107 in 1988, he was offered a job at WWR-TV, and uh, he became uh, a New York fixture during his time at OR. He hosted that was before they had the first W. Just one W. No, I think I think in '88 it was my Mr. nine, maybe. I, I don't. I'll have to go back and look. Um, during that time, he hosted the New York Yankees post game, the New York Giants pregame, the New York Giants post game shows. He also co-hosted the popular midday show, The Sweater and the Smoozer, Smoozer on WFAN from 1993 to 2000. Later, he transitioned to WWR TV's sister station. Fox 5 News in New York City as a primetime sportscaster. He currently co-hosts the New York Giants kickoff show on WNYW. He also hosts Big Blue Kickoff on Giants.com. And last month, he launched his podcast, Can You Believe This?, in conjunction with the WABC Radio and the OG Podcast Network. It is a thrill to welcome one of the iconic voices in the New York sports landscape, two-time Emmy Award winner as well as the prestigious Edward R. Murrow Award, the only, the one and only, the sweater, Russ Salzberg. Welcome, Russ. Hey, Mark. How you how you guys doing today? Doing great. Doing great. You know, aside from the weather, but uh, you know, yeah. got to watch yeah, baseball. For so lack of for lack of a better term, especially when it comes to baseball weather, it <laughs> sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, it's so interesting when you look back at your career. I mentioned in the open that you always dreamed of being a sportscaster. But you attended Loyola College in Montreal, Quebec, where you studied sociology and psychology. After graduating with a bachelor's degree in 1974, you returned home to Brooklyn. You sold business machines in Manhattan for two years. After that, you moved back to Toronto and to Canada to sell real estate. Your next career move would be the one that would change your life forever. So take us back to the point in your life. Let me just stop for one second and ask, what does a Jewish boy from Brooklyn do end up going to a Catholic college (laughs) in Montreal? Well, I, I'll tell you what he's doing. Um, first things first, that um, y- you're talking about a Jewish boy from the housing projects who, whose you know, dad worked for the Transit Authority uh, and, uh, you know, didn't have a lot, we didn't have a lot of money. And, you know, I had no problem getting into, like, the city schools, but I wanted to go away to school. And room board and tuition in 1969, room board and tuition thirteen hundred dollars thirteen hundred and fifty dollars room board and tuition to a great school so that's why i ended up in uh, montreal and had a great time doing it so but but that's interesting basically like we said you went for sociology and psychology you come back and you you do two completely opposite jobs when did that light bulb go off and say listen I'm not doing this for the rest of my life. I need to pursue my dream. And how did you go about doing that? Well, um, let, let's say, well, first of all, just a little correction. And by golly, you guys did a lot of homework because I forgot all the stuff that I did. <laughs> but, but, but having said that, it wasn't, I always loved sports. But, you know, it wasn't my lifelong dream to be a sports kid. So had that been the case, I probably would have taken that up in school. 
Uh, you know, I, I, listen, you're a kid from the projects. You know, uh, you know, my era, it was go to school, get a good job, make a living, make more than your parents made. You know, that's what they wanted for you. So, you know, that's what my goal was. But I was selling real estate and uh, living up in Toronto. I was married, uh, you know, still married to the same person going on 39 years. And at the time, um, I, ha- I have two daughters. One was about, uh, about a year old at the time. I just had enough. And, and I started to think about, Jesus, you know, I mean, I'm in my early 30s. If I'm going to make a career change, now is the time to do it. When, when a child is still young, when you're still young, you know, it's a lot easier to do it when you're in your early 30s than your early 40s as things going on. So I came home one day, and I just said to my wife, i, I got to make a career change. You know, i, I got to do something else. And I had been thinking about it. She says, what do you want to do? I said, well, I, I think I want to be a sportscaster. So having said that, to my wife's credit, because she got a lot of goodwill uh, equity built up with me, uh, a lot of wives, you know, listen, she, she's a Brooklyn girl, took her to uh, Toronto, didn't have any of her family, anybody there. And she didn't blink. She just said, okay, um, well, I guess i got to go back to work full-time. So she went back to work full-time, and I was a house daddy for a year, training myself, you know, to re- t- talking into a mirror and talking into a tape recorder to be a sportscaster. Uh, I did that. Then I went to, while I was doing that, I went to uh, the local community cable uh, outfits there, uh, which was Rogers Cable up in Toronto, and um, who, of course, the, um, you know, it's Rogers, the, the dome in, in Roger, Toronto Roger is Rogers. Anyway, um, I did whatever I could do, you know, for nothing. I, I mean, the, the very first thing I did was play-by-play for wheelchair basketball, but to me, it was like doing Game 7 in the NBA Finals, and I treated everything that way. I kept doing that, doing that, and then uh, at the same time, I also won, as you said, Q107, I won a radio job, Uh, so it was a buck seven an hour for three hours a morning. I did that for, I was supposed to be on the air for three months, and uh, after the three months, they kept me off for four more months at the grand old salary of like $150 a week. And as that was about to expire, City TV in Toronto uh, called me and uh, asked me to come on. And uh, that was 1984. And uh, four years later, I was uh, at WW. It was two W's, by the way. It was at WWOR. Thank you. (laughs) Channel 9, October 1988. In fact... My first day on the air was the day before the Yankee, excuse me, the the Mets Dodgers um, NLCS series started. That's when I started. It's amazing. So, you know, think back on whether it was a cold call trying to send, you know, sell business machines or you know trying to close a real estate deal, mm-hmm. and and sit there and soak in the fact that now you've spent three decades, over thirty years, in the toughest market there is. As a sportscaster, you know, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think about that? How fortunate I am to be able to say that uh, I've been able to, you know, do good by my family, which is first and foremost. 
and be able to say I've been very, very fortunate to enjoy what I do. That's why I still do it. That's why I'm still doing, you know, uh, these podcasts, which, by the way, it's not Can You Believe It? It's Get a Load of This. That's the right. of the podcast yes. on the right. OG Podcast Network. But, right. but having said that, I treat that. I'm as excited about doing these podcasts and, and the things I do for the Giants. Uh, I, I'm as enthused about doing it now as I was when I started. And, and that's what keeps you going is loving what you do. I know a lot, a lot of rich people who are miserable. Now, don't get me wrong. Money helps solve a lot of problems, a lot of problems. But it's not the be-all, end-all to happiness. You know, I never worried what somebody else was making. I never, my, I've had one agent my entire career who's, you know, when, when you have somebody that long, he, he becomes or she becomes your best friend. And I never once, I can say this emphatically. I never once said to him, well, what's this guy make? What's that guy make? Why aren't I making? As long as I was treated fairly by my employer or employers, and uh, as long as that was happening, I was happy. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very thankful to be able to say, basically, you know, I, I haven't just been in, in this area for 30 years, but really for one place because... Yeah, I ended up at five only because Fox bought Channel Nine, so I was doing nine and five simultaneously. And then when they closed nine, I was five. So I wasn't just—I'm not just in New York for thirty years, but at one place for thirty years. And I'll be frank with you—that's something I'm very proud of. Because people play musical chairs, and I haven't had to do that. So, so from the time you started in '88 to the time you yeah. decided, it was enough of the daily grind. Right. I, you know, I look back and see how much how much the broadcast industry changed over that time. How much did you see that did the concept of doing the evening sports report change from the time you started in 1988 to the time you stopped doing it in 2016? Um, well, it, it, it's all changed drastically. Um, and I never wanted to be one of those old cranky farts that say in my day it was better. Yeah. But I don't... I don't see it better today than it was when I started. First of all, when you started, uh, you, when I started, you, you know, a lot of people, we all would turn in to, like, I watch my colleagues every night. You know, now there's so many stations and, and so many cable stations, and, and it seems to me people are more concerned today, and it's not just the sports business. Let me, let me clarify that. It's not just the sports business. It's the news business. Yeah. People are more concerned about being first than being right, and, and, and I, I, you know, it, you've got social media, and everybody's concerned about being right or being first as opposed to being right. Let, let's just get it out there. How many? It's clickbait. How many likes can we get? And, and to me, that's not the right way to do business. And don't get me wrong, I tweet plenty. I go on Facebook. That's part of the industry. But I don't necessarily think that's the best way to do business. We're talking, it, first of all, I don't even think, if you hear that voice, you know who we're speaking right. to. But that's we're speaking it. to Russ Salzberg on WLIE Sports Talk New York. You know, I ran into you at City Field on opening day, and mm -hmm. we talked that, that I, I believe at that point it was your 30th straight opening day. 
you you shared a great story about how you met Rusty Staub when you were sitting alone in a pub like restaurant in Montreal as a student and Rusty asked if it was all right if he sat down next to you and for those of you you know who want to see that it, it's a great story that Russ told it's on our Facebook page but there's another story that I would love for you to share with our audience, which also starts with you sitting alone in a restaurant, um, which I think is the key to your success, it seems. Uh, you know, maybe you, you didn't have that many friends <laughs> for some reason, but a, a new, another New York icon walks up and asks you if, if he minded if we join you, and that was Yogi Berra. So could you share well, how that well, started, a friendship? Yeah, sure, sure. Well, that to me, you know, that's one of the most things I'm proud of that, you know, I'll get emotional talking about it. Yogi just became a dear friend. I mean, for the last year and a half of his life, you know, Yogi was in a, um, you know, a senior home, and his dear wife Carmen had passed. And I spent every weekend with Yogi for the last year and a half of his life um, to the day he died. You know, and I was with him that last day. But where did it all start with myself and Yogi? I, I remember it was a tournament up in Greenwich, Connecticut, for juvenile diabetes. I'm sitting, you know, you go in and you're sitting having breakfast. You know, I was there early. I'm sitting having breakfast and um, just sit, sitting, you know, grabbing a quick bite. And, you know, I had a, it was sitting by a table by myself. And who comes over? Yogi. Whitey Ford and Ralph Branca. And Yogi goes, hey, Russ, mind if we join you? I mean, to me, uh, uh, not only did I spit out my food, I probably soiled my drawers <laughs> because, because, I mean, Yogi Baron knows my name. I, I mean, I was, like, dumbfounded. You know, it just knocked me over. And, you know, over the years, we became friends. And uh, then as we both got older, we became closer and closer friends. And, you know, I'll, I'll, cherish, I'll cherish that relationship, I, you know, to the day I, I leave this earth. I'll, I'll, I'll give you my, a, a great yogi story. I'm visiting him one day, and, you know, sometimes, you know, he, yogi's older. Uh, and he was, you know, kind of like tired, or if I think he's nodding out or falling asleep a little bit, I'd, I'd always start talking, and we'd always be watching some some sort of sports. And I brought up, a baseball game was on, and I brought, brought up uh, the fact, you remember when Buster Posey, you know, uh, broke his leg and with collision at home plate, right. and they started changing the rules. Right. Okay. So I said to Yogi, I said, you know, hey, Yogi, what do you think of this rule business? And all of a sudden, like, he lit up like he was 30 years old. I mean, just sat up in a chair, lit up like he was 30 years old. That's BS, it's this and that. Let me tell you something. Dickie taught me, and here he is sitting in his chair, in his wheelchair. Dickie taught me, he's moving his feet around, if you can picture this. Uh, and Dickie taught me, you, you, you cover each side of the plate with your, sh with your feet, and you give him the middle, and you block the plate, and he's going on and on. And I'm thinking about this. And I'm thinking about this. And I'm saying to myself, look at me. This kid from the projects in Brooklyn is sitting here with one of the all-time greats, Yogi, who's telling me about another Hall of Famer, teaching him. And I, I, I'll tell you this, this is the God's honest truth. I went in, when I left him that day, I went into my car. 
I sat in my car and I just lost it. I, I got so emotional from that story, it, it, the way he was telling it to me. I mean, you know, that that's like, you know, pinch yourself when something like that happens to you. It's an unbelievable story. I'm glad you shared that with us. You know, 30 years worth of doing some great sports moments in this town, some awful ones as well. What's a single event that you covered that stands out the most to you? Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. You, you know, th- there's been a lot of a lot of great ones. Um, the, the 1990 Super Bowl was pretty cool for me. Uh, the reason that was very cool is because, you know, the rules are a lot different. We didn't have 9-11 yet. You were allowed to do things differently. Uh, I'm on the field. Uh, you know, as Norwood is lining up to be wide right, I'm, I'm on the field and I'm literally two feet. There, there was a cord separating me from the Giants. And Dave Meggett turns around and looks at me and says, he's going to miss this bleeping kick. <laughs> and being on the field after the game, that, that was kind of, like, really exciting. That, that was a great moment. Um, listen, uh, you know, when the Rangers won, it was a great moment. I was there when, when, when the Devils won their first cup. It was great. Yankees in 96. There's been tons of great moments. Uh, I, I, you know, I don't know that I could, I don't know that I have one. But that Giants in 1990 was, was pretty special. That, 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 that was, but, but I'll tell you what, when, 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 when Coughlin won his first Super Bowl when they beat the Patriots the first time, direct their, their undefeated season, that was spectacular too. So there's been a lot of great moments. Uh, I'm, I'm very fortunate. And, and you know, that's one thing I've never also taken for granted. I remember in 1985, the Blue Jays um, were going to the ALCS. And I remember when they clinched their division, and I'm in a locker room, and, and people are pouring champagne all over each other and this and that. And I'm saying to myself, you know what? Enjoy this, because there's a lot of people who work in our business guys who cover teams for years and years and years and never get to experience it ever unbelievable yo you know so so to me the the fact that something like that can happen you know it just you know i've been very fortunate think about all all think about all the locker rooms and, and championship stuff that i've been able to be in you, you know uh you know, not just the championships, but you know, with, with division titles and, and, and you know, league championship titles, just with the Yankees alone, and it's it's you know, I, I that's something you don't take for granted. Yeah, it certainly would have been a lot different if you had gone on out to the West Coast and did thirty years in San Diego. You wouldn't have had any right. of those moments. No, no, but th- that's exactly <laughs> my point. Right? Absolutely. That's, that's, exa- right. that's exactly exactly the point. Yeah. You know, I, I might have had better weather, but, but, but I wouldn't have had the, you know the fun that I've had. And, and I'll tell you something else: I'm a I'm a New Yorker. You know, I, I that's that's one thing. Listen, I loved living up in Toronto. I, I didn't like it. I loved it. It's, was, it was uh, it, it is a tremendous city. But I had a chance not just to come home, but to the major market, sports market, in a world where you know there's oh, oh, so much going on 
all the time. So to me, that just knocked me over. You, you, you know, I mean, I, I'm a New Yorker. I, I can never... I can never live in a, in one of those warm weather cities. Anyway, I, I got to be here. I mean, you come off not just a New Yorker because you grew up here. But you're a New Yorker on the air too. Your persona right, yeah. is, is very much New York. So, do you think that you know would that play well anywhere else? It plays best in New York. Well, I think so. I happen to agree with you on that. And and and, and it's funny that you would say that. I was on the air in Toronto, guys. This is gospel. I was on the air in Toronto, and I, 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 have a, I forgot about this, but I was on the air three months, three months at City TV, and I was doing weekends, and I get a call. I remember the guy's name, Dick Reingold. He was the news, the news director at WMAQ in Chicago. That's a big station. And he calls me up. He says, uh, you know, Russ Albrecht. I says, yeah, that's me. Says, uh, this is so and so, so and so. Uh, are you available? You know, like available for what? <laughs> Would you be interested in coming, you know, to Chicago? And he, they had done their homework. They knew everything about me. You know, how, how long have you been in the business? I told them three months. Like, like he didn't believe me. So they were very interested. They wanted me to send that tape that night. They had other stuff on me. So I said to him, and listen, my, my, I discussed with my wife, and we said to each other, you know, listen, if it comes up, Chicago, I mean, I would go. But I said to the guy, I said, listen, I, I appreciate the interest, and don't get me wrong, I don't want to poo-poo your interest, but you're, you're Midwest, and I'm <laughs> as New York as New York can be. You sure I'm going to play there? Because I'm, I'm not sure. And he says, oh, listen. Let me decide on that. I, he, I says, well, you work it out with your colleagues. You know, he says, well, we'll get back to you at the end of the week. And um, sure enough, he called back at the end of the week. He says, you know, Russ, we agree with your assessment. Everybody thinks you're great. <laughs> he, he, could, he, he couldn't have been more complimentary, but he says, you're right. You're, you're in New York to the bone. I says, amen. <laughs> I, I, and you know what? It would have been a mistake for me to go because I am a New Yorker, and 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 I pride myself on that. And and then when people say, "But you know what? You know what the biggest compliment I get when people come up to me and say, hey, Russ, you know you really are like a regular guy.'" And my answer to that is, "Well, what the hell am I supposed to be?" <laughs> Absolutely. No, right. I mean really. Right. You know but, that's what you're supposed to be. But it's interesting you brought that up because a guy that you appear with regularly did a stint out in Florida. And he's also true New York, and that's Sid Rosenberg. Yeah. But Florida is... Well, Florida is New York South. So it's a different market. You're, you're 100% right. Yeah. Florida is... is, is uh, that, that's a good description. Florida is New York South. south. Right. Yeah. And that's why I get along with, you know, Sid Rosenberg so well, because <laughs> he, if you hear us talk, it's two guys talking New York. Right. It's two guys on a stoop talking sports is what it that's is. That's what it is. Yep, absolutely. No question about Drop, it. Dropping F-bombs or whatever <laughs> else. That's what we're doing. Right. So, you know, we mentioned Yogi and Rusty, but over three decades you have gained, obviously, the respect of athletes and coaches here in the market. Some of your most notable interviews include the late principal owner and managing partner of the Yankees, George Steinbrenner, mm-hmm. uh, Phil Simms, uh, Lawrence Taylor, Michael Jordan, um, countless others. Is there one guy in this marketplace that 
you know, after a post game, you always look for like for me. I know it's Henrik Lundqvist in this marketplace, and Curtis Grandison were two guys that whenever I had the opportunity to speak to, I was thrilled to speak to them because they were just so articulate and gave you so much. Who were those guys for you? Um, jeez, I don't know if I had so much go-to guys that that I went to all the time, like. You know, Derek Jeter, for example, Derek never said a whole lot, ever. <laughs> ne- ne- never said a whole lot, you know. But the thing that always impressed me about Derek was that he was always respectful to you to do your job. You know, after the game, win or lose, or if he was ticked off about something, you know, like if there was a bad game or they lost or just that, he always stood as his locker respectful to answer questions. Now, he didn't walk away with anything, um, but he was respectful. So, you know, that's the type of stuff that I always respected. Conversely, you know, I'll say it. I, I mean, you know, when I got done talking with Alex Rodriguez, I wanted to go take a get fumigated because the phoniness just stunk. I, I couldn't stand like, it. Oh, you mean the guy who wanted to play for the Mets so right. badly? Yeah, 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 that guy. <laughs> if, they gave, I mean, if they gave him an office. Right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it, <laughs> it, 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 it never ends. No, I'm being, right. no, I agree you, with you're you. You're asking me, right. so I, I'm telling you straight. But, you know, like you mentioned, like, I, I never looked for one guy. I looked, you know, to do the story. I, I, well, I'll tell you one guy who was great after a game, though. It wasn't, like, at the locker, but it was at the press conference. I mean, I loved Parcells after a game. Oh. I mean, and, and Bill Parcells, I always said this, was great for my career because, you know, he was a new a Jersey guy. I'm a Brooklyn guy. He looked at me as being a bit of a smartass, but we always got along, and, and, you know, we could take shots at each other. And anytime I asked, asked him for a personal interview, he always did it. I'll meet me early, this and that. And, and the byplay always was good, and, and that always helped me. Um, you know, the interviews were made for good TV, so I really enjoyed, uh, really enjoyed Parcells. Now, AJ alluded to this uh, a little while ago about how the industry has changed so much, and, and that brings mm-hmm. us to your latest venture, uh, Get a Load of This, a podcast on the OG Podcast Network. AJ and I pride ourselves in being one of the few sports talk shows that still do, as you can see right now, the long-form interview. Um, I listened to the debut of Get a Load of This with you interviewing college basketball legend Willie Worsley. Uh, mm-hmm. Willie recounts his story and talked the, the civil rights and the treatment of college athletes with you. But it's so obvious that you really enjoyed the process of doing the research to be able to get the best out of him and unearthing a great story about Mother Airplane. So I, I, I urge everyone to go out to the website and listen to the five podcasts that are up there. The podcast was absolutely outstanding. Take us through the process of Get a Load of This who books the guest? How long do you have to prepare the interviews? And how much does it differ from what you've done in the past? And, you know, what is the thing that you, you – it comes through, you know, in the podcast, how much you're enjoying this? Well, I'm enjoying it because I'm doing something, as I explained to you, that, that I love to do. Uh, podcast is a little different for a couple of reasons. One, uh, first of all, in answer to your question, I'm booking the guest. And, you know, like, for example, this coming week is it, that, that, that you ask, and I might not have a guest this week because there's a couple of things that I'm thinking about that I might want to rant about or talk about. Uh, you know, it's, it's very similar to radio. 
except that I'm taping it. You know, I, I, I tape it on a Wednesday and I run it on, a, you know, we basically got it down now where we post them a day or two days later on the Friday. Uh, it, it's really very similar to radio. Um, what I enjoy about it is that I can talk about whatever I want to talk about, and I I don't just narrow it down to sports. Like For example, this past week, I spoke about the Crown Heights shooting where the guy was pointing the pipe and people thought it was a gun, and I thought, I thought that was important. I was talking about Ray Lewis, his, his asinine remarks about yeah, Odell Beckham yeah. Jr. I was talking about the movie Paterno. So it, it allows me to talk about whatever I want to talk about issues. And, um, you know, I, I want, when I sat down with the people at WABC Radio, I, I said I wanted it to be a New York-flavored kind of show. I wanted it to be Russ, and I wanted it to be New York-flavored. You know, doesn't have to be sports, but I just wanted that. And, you know, I feel fortunate that the first five shows, because we've been doing a little over a month now, have been that. Uh, the difference, you know, you can use salty language. Now, I'm not one, trust me, um, I can drop F-bombs with the best of them. But I won't use language, you know, for just to be gratuitous. Uh, 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 you know, if it comes out, it comes out. Like, I'll, I'll say BS the way we say it in the street or stuff like that or, you know, different phrases. But it, it's not for, for cause and effect. It's just because, like you say, it's like two guys sitting on a stoop. You know what I'm saying? So that's, that's the fun about the podcast. And, and quite frankly... The podcast is something that's that's an innovation that I think is good. Could it allows people to talk how they want to talk, and, and, and you know it works. So I'm I'm very enthused about it. It's uh, and I, I've been very fortunate for my entire career because a lot of people and you guys have to know this. A lot of people try to make you something that you don't want to be. Nobody's ever tried, or, you know, not that I would have allowed it, but, you know, listen, you have to go according to certain rules. Nobody's ever tried to tell me you need to do it this way, you need to do it that way. I've, by and large, been allowed to be me my entire career, and, and um, the feedback that I've been getting on, get a load of this, has been great. They say, Ross, I mean, it just sounds like you're talking all the time. Said, well, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. You know, so uh, been very pleased with it. You know, the nice thing about that when Mark and I started doing this, we're on the internet, yes. and, not, and it was right. like David Susskind's open end. <laughs> right, the interviews would go on forever. We didn't have a time restriction. We had an extra hour. We had an extra right. hour. Right, and that I think is one of the nice things about a podcast. You're not, you know, if you have one week, you have 25 minutes worth of material. You do 25 minutes. The next week, you have an hour and a half. You do the hour and a half. Here, we're running up on a on a, a break. break. So, so right, so you have to fit well, in no, you, you, right. you know what? I'm glad you brought that up. Because you're exactly right. Like, I can come in and, you know, maybe maybe I have something really good, but it's only going to be like 30 minutes. So I'm not pushing to make it an hour that day. And if it's got to be an hour, then I'm, I'll make it an hour that day. That is the beauty of the podcast. You're right. But, you know, when you're doing radio, and yeah. listen, somebody's got to pay the rent. You're up against commercial breaks. You're up against different things. But it's um, it, it's something that I'm... I'm not saying it as a sales pitch. I promise you guys, I think you know me well enough. Uh, I, it's something that 
you can hear it in my voice. I just really enjoy doing it. Um, and, and it got me very, very excited. No, there's no question. It, it comes through, and that, that was what hit me right away when you, you said that you, when you were introducing it and talking about the debut, what we can expect from it is not only sports. It's going to be music and, and politics and, and current events, and you could tell you know, how juiced you were in it. Um, most importantly for our listeners, how can they find the podcast? Where will they find it? How can they subscribe so they, they don't miss any of the episodes? I appreciate you asking. All you got to do... Uh, well, first of all, it's it's on uh, Apple. So if you got, got the Apple podcast on your phone, or you, you know, if you just punch up on on podcast, it's get a load of this. You know, Russ Salzberg, and, and you'll get that. If not, all you have to do is go to the OG Podcast dot com, uh, punch it up. Um, they're all there. If if you don't see them all there, just search, you know, for it, and uh, you'll get them. It's real simple. Russ, it's it's hard to believe AJ and I have been at this for ten years, and somehow we've never had you on. Uh, we've always been big fan of yours, so we want to make sure that we don't go another ten years before we have you on. All right? Listen, uh, Mark, you got my number. AJ, you got my number. <laughs> Call anytime. I enjoy talking to you guys. I, I tell you, you really did your homework. You took me down memory lane. <laughs> so I, I I really enjoyed it, but but really. Uh, you got an open invite to call me anytime. It would be my pleasure to come on. We absolutely will take you up on that. And if come Tuesday you're still looking for content, AJ and I are available Wednesday for a podcast. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Russ Salzberg, get a load of this, his new podcast on the OG Podcast Network.